Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and I've brought him back, the busiest man <laughs> in British comics at the moment, uh, Professor Riptide himself, Tony Esmond. Hello, Tony. <laughs> Hello, mate. I don't know about busy, but yeah, yeah, I'm certainly enjoying it at the moment. So we're going through a little golden period, I think, again. Yeah, having Excellent. fun with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to ask you at the end of the hour about your projects and tell us why you're so busy at the moment, what you've been up to, but. First off, we've got a big book to talk about. It's a book that I put out various appeals for somebody to sort of volunteer <laughs> for because it was one I wanted to to look at and learn a bit more about. Tell us what we're doing on the... Um, you responded, I should say. You're the chap who responded to the, <laughs> the request. Well, what are we doing today? Yeah, I did respond. And I have to, I have to add to that is the, the fact that I didn't want to monopolize being on. I think this is, is it the fourth time I've been on? I mean, something yeah, like that. I didn't want to so, yeah. monopolize keep coming on because I know we did that DUI one and I thought he keeps mentioning he needs someone to talk about like, I love that book. I'll let someone else go. I'll let someone else go. And I think it was like the second or third time I heard you mention it. I thought, right, I'm going to do it because I do really enjoy this book and it's The Light and Darkness War written by Tom Veach, Art and Colours by Cam Kennedy, Letters by Gasper, Saladino and edited by the Mighty Archie Goodwin, um, originally from Epic. October 88 to September 89, it ran in a six-issue miniseries. Um, so that's the book. During the brief dream that was Marvel's epic line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Archie Goodwin, what a what a character, and uh, what some interesting comics that he created at that point, including because we did the Last American, didn't we? Or not? You know, I did the Last American on this. Yeah, podcast. I enjoyed that man. That was a good podcast. This period. Yeah. Okay. So the Light and Darkness War. Tell us about your relationship first of all with the book when it came out in 1988, because you've got all the comics did you get this as it came out <laughs> i did and i think i was in that sort of period where we've often talked about it mate and we where we talk about the 80s being this like amazing period where everything was so good you know from swamp thing onwards and 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 more more to that is i was buying a lot of stuff anything that seemed to be a english creator or pardon me a british creator scottish creator over in america always had kind of had the stamp of quality about it so i bought this from the off i bought all the issues they're somewhere in Longbox mountain behind me and then i think when it came out from titan i got it as an early review cop- copy from john freeman and i wrote something on it um not actually a review i think i just how i felt about reading it again is a very good story interesting story with a lot of sort of layers to it um and then i bought the hardback as well when it came out and i've given it as a gift actually i have to say it's currently with my son at his house so i've, I've got the comicsology copy to talk about maybe something so i've got the titan hardback from 2015 in front of me which is um in itself is a beautiful book nice treatment isn't it with a couple yes. of extra bits in there and stuff yeah i think so an introduction by a retired uh, united states naval commander mike beeler there's a, an essay by tom veach himself at the back about it and then there's an article by stephen bissett yeah uh, the Swamp Thing guy, yeah. Swamp Thing guy, yeah, exactly. All right, so tell us then briefly, just give us the sort of basic premise and setup of The Light and Darkness War by Veach and Kennedy. It's an interesting one because I think you can easily summarise it and miss out some of what's going on because it could easily be described as Vietnam War meets the, meets the Wizard of Oz or John Carter from Mars, I think is maybe a closer thing. But it follows um, the life of a guy called Lazarus Jones, which is still like a brilliantly cool name. Um, and he's suffering from PTSD and has lost his legs in Vietnam. Um, and 
he's lost the rest of his crew. He's the lone survivor. He's feeling the guilt. He gets taken by his wife to the war, the wall of names, which I think is in Washington, isn't it? I think somewhere. it is. Yes. Um, of his, and finds his fallen comrades on, on the, on the wall. And on the way back from there, um, the car crashes, which I have questions about. I don't know whether he does it on purpose or it's a car crash. Did you decide on that? Eamon? I, what I decided was that he probably shouldn't have been driving at that point. Yeah. <laughs> He doesn't seem to be entirely well at that point, does he? Yeah. Um, and yes, so you get this slight impression that he might have a bit of a death wish, having seen the names of his fallen comrades. Yeah. Yeah. So he doesn't, he doesn't, well, it's hard to tell because it lives in that world of, is it a fantasy? Is it a dream? Is it happening because we're reading comics and it can do? But he somehow is transported in a, in our reality or in their reality in, in, on Earth, he's um, comatose, lying still in a bed, but he's transported to another reality um, where he's got his legs back. It's run by a sort of strange cross between magic and Da Vinci style logic um, of engineering, where his team is still alive and they're on a stone ship flying through the air and are sort of soldiers for something called the Light. And they go. They go off to a place uh, 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 to see the governor of a place called Blackgate on a on a an interestingly named planet called Zex, double X E double X, um, because he thinks that the bloke who runs it by the name of Nethon has been taken over by the darkness, thus giving it the name of the Light and Darkness War. Now mix into that the fact that he has been. There's an impro. Uh, there's the the villains and the the armies of darkness. Nar, Lord of all reality. Um, is heading towards this city to to be the the point of this massive battle. Also, by issue, I think it's issue three, we mix in Nikki, who is the nephew of Nikola Tesla, who has a girlfriend called Delpha, who's a kind of, I'm going to say yin-yang yonki kind of spiritualist kind of person who has some kind of sort of psychic ability in some way, um, along with Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci. Um, who get mixed up into this war, and it takes off from there. And it's, it it goes through a lot. There's a lot of story packed into six issues, but there is definitely a significant ending, which I thought was done well um, by the end, which I won't spoil immediately, but uh, that's kind of the story. So displaced warrior with problems, almost into reality where he's he's got his legs back, he's with his friends, um, he even sleeps around a bit behind his wife's back in this reality. Um, it, it's it's an interesting story written in the eighties, you know, which is, isn't that far away from the end of the Vietnam War. Let's face it, about what's happened. That's kind of how I'd summarise it. But it's not an easy one to summarise. I'm going to say. No, it does start as you say as the sort of displaced warrior who's in another fantasy world where he has to fight again. Um, as you say, there is there's there's some. There's some SpaceX because there's a space princess. I know that slightly underplays her role in everything, but um, yeah, there's a space princess, of course. Um, let's start with Tom Veach then, because he's okay. an interesting character as a writer, and you've done one of your sort of uh, trademarked, never iron anything sort of potted histories for us, haven't you? Yeah, he is really interesting. I have to say, I don't think I think it actually adds. I don't. I'm not a great believer in having to know about people who write things in order to enjoy the the medium you know but i think knowing a bit about him does add an extra layer to him um he was born in 41 in new hampshire in the u.s he passed away sadly of covid only last year um he 
he went to school and was and worked in illustration and was interested in film and comics. But in from 1965 to 1968, he became a Benedictine monk in a Catholic priory in Vermont. Um, I think it's hard to tell. You and I both watched a short documentary on him. I think there was some kind of drugs, alcohol issue, I'm going to say. Yeah, sort of pushed possibly. him that way, maybe. He got rejected for military service as well just before That's that. That's right. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's a massive part of the the, um, the US underground comics movement. And after being a monk, he moved to – I can't think of two different places. But after being a monk in Vermont, he moved to San Francisco, which was the, the, the point when, you know, Zap and all, you know, Crumb and all these guys were, you know, Guilt Shot and all these, these guys were very, very busy around the underground comics scene. And it was really sort of flowering. Um He's a man of many skills, I'm going to say. He wrote comics, both mainstream and underground. He was a poet. He wrote nonfiction, philosophy, and theology. And later on in his later life, he was well known for having a bookshop, quite a sort of alternative bookshop, which I think he ran for quite a long time. Um, he did, his brother is um, Rick Veach, who also we all know from DC Comics and, and Underground Comics. Um, he made. He was involved in Bong Comics, which uh, Rick made with people like Harvey Pekar and other people. Um, he ran his own poetry and prose magazine between in the early seventies called um, the Tom Beach Magazine. But he also dabbled in a lot of eighties, early nineties alternative. They're not alternative really when we look at them now because they were produced by mainstream comics. But they had that feel of being part of that wave of comics that you and I very much enjoyed in the 80s through to the early 90s. So he did the NAS with Brian Tolbert. He seems to have worked with quite a few English and um, Scottish creators. He worked on My Name is Chaos with John Ridgway, which is another, both of those were prestige formats, um, comics, really good. He worked briefly on Animal Man. Um, story goes that uh, George Lucas saw Light and Darkness War and off that hired him and Cam Kennedy to work on the Star Wars Dark Empire series, which is still held in quite high regard, I think. I've not read it. Have you read that? No. I've seen Cam Kennedy's artwork for it, and it does look fabulous. Yeah. Um, and this that comes yeah, that was one of the things I was going to ask you about, because that comes after the Light and Darkness War. Yeah. But yeah, you're quite right. That is extremely well remembered, isn't it? Yeah, very much a bunch of Star Wars fans. I, I'm on a bit of a trying to sort of get my head into Star Wars comics at the moment because I haven't really read many. But um, yeah, very well remembered. And he did some Superman Commandy at the Earth's, Earth's End, Elseworld stories, um, which I know our buddy Al Henderson's into. And um, he did some sort of collections of prose and poetry, really. So not like super prolific, but what he did, I have to say, I really did enjoy. A massive fan of the Naz. I think the Naz is great. Right. Yeah. If someone said to you the Naz was written by alan moore or grant morrison you would well believe it wouldn't you if they took the names off it i think yeah. it's that sort of book yeah yeah really interesting character and veach is interested obviously because we've seen the interviews he's interested in the idea of the warrior in a way the sort of endless warrior yeah um and i guess obviously from this book the transported warrior and one of the questions i had in our notes was how far back this idea of transport transporting a warrior to a different fantasy setting yeah. goes is is john carter from mars like one of the earliest examples do you think yeah it is i i know we talked about this and i sort of was racking my brains for a few examples and whilst john Car- I'm, I'm a massive erb fan i think john carter's a great series of books as tarzan and stuff but there's also a book that comes slightly before it called Gulliver Jones, which oh, Marvel yes. did a comic of as well, um, which is a U.S. Navy man transported to Mars. Um, 
I think there's three issues. Is it Creatures Unbound or something like that? I think the name of the Marvel series, and that's really well remembered. Um, but there's, I think through comics has been various versions of this. And I, did you want me to mention a couple of them more? Yeah, I do, please. Yeah. Um, War That Time Forgot, I think, is um, it's from Star Spangled Comics in 1960 by Robert Kaniger and Ross Andrew. Is US soldiers on an island during World War II. They get stranded and discover it's a prehistoric world with dinosaurs and stuff. And I know, I think it came back during the New 52 period. Um the American version of Warlord, not the, the much-remembered one here, but you had the Mike Grell Warlord, which is Travis Morgan as a Vietnam vet. So there's a little bit of that going on there, I think, as well, in Scarterus, which was not in the future or another rally. It was actually, was it like a Pellucidor kind of inside the earth kind of thing, I think, right? from memory? Um, and the, the, the one that always comes to mind is, um, we don't always think about it, I suppose, is The Shining Knight. So The Shining Knight was oh, a right. character from, you know, allegedly King Arthur's Round Table, and then he's brought back into Silver Age comics and now current age comics, you know. So that's a kind of a soldier displaced in a way, I suppose. Yeah. And what about also, because this, as you've mentioned, this is very much in a way a Vietnam comic, isn't it? Um, yeah. Clearly, the sort of like the cultural significance of Vietnam, particularly on American uh, perceptions of themselves, um, Tom Veach gets to play with that here because it's it's Vietnam veterans going back into another endless war, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think you, you got to remember when this was made, we were coming out the back of having a lot of, you know, Hamburger Hill, uh, a lot of American movies made showing the reality of Vietnam, and we we'd, we'd backed away from the sort of John Wayne kind of period of those movies. So the the sort of the horrors of is it Born on the Fourth of July? I'm going to say was around yes. that time as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Platoon, obviously. Um, what was the Kubrick one that was filmed in East London? I forget. Uh, uh, Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of that going on at the time. Um, but yeah, I know that when they met Cam Kennedy, who was introduced to Veach by um, Steve Bissett, which he describes in that essay, isn't it? Cam Kennedy had this idea for a kind of alternative future war. And it was Tom Veach who said, let's make it Vietnam. Because right. I guess he'd experienced a lot of that. He'd, I don't think he'd been there, but I suspect he knew people who had been and the, you know, the anti-war rallies and stuff like that that were going on. It was a big big thing, wasn't it, in America? Massive for the world, but yeah. it had a, a, a definitive effect on the youth of his time, I guess. Yeah. The other thing you put in your notes, which didn't occur to me, but actually is extremely, in a way, obvious, was there's a sort of dune... Um, sort of setting to it or a, a feel to it with this this weird light and darkness war floating battleships giant battle beasts these sort of it's because it's not like a jungle setting like vietnam it is you do get the feeling that it's a sort of desert war in a way yeah um, and of course i know your co-hosts on the awesome comic podcast are big dune fans aren't they yeah, we're massive Dune fans, and we love right. it. But um, what what really took me to that place was the way that each issue is introduced with a quote from an imagined religious text, right? Um, which is the same way that if you read the Dune books, each book is opened with this sort of quote from a book, a religious text, or a biography, or the speeches of you know Baron Harkonnen or something like that. And they do this on that, don't they? Which I kind of is a really nice like marker at the start. Almost above the is it above the grave of a soldier? I think is the way it's yeah, done. Yeah, it seems to be. There's a there's a strange mixture of like a, an assault rifle with a 
I don't know what you'd call that, like an Italian Renaissance battle yeah. helmet on top of it. And then the the quote from the Mentep scriptures, and the Menteps are these weird telepathic psychic aliens that can power the battleships, it seems. Yeah. I mean, there's Mentaps were the characters in June, you know, so there's maybe there was a little bit of just me being nudged into thinking that. But yeah. The other thing that Tom Veach introduces in the middle section of this book, um, I mean, we get we get the remarkable sort of translocation in a way of Lazarus Jones being transported to this fantasy world where his legs are back again and he's fighting again with his old comrades. And then, of course, to the end of the book, we're going to get the big final resolution between the forces of light and darkness. But in the middle... Tom Veach wants to tell us a little bit, or he wants to bring in Leonardo da Vinci and Nikolai Tesla. Yeah. How how well do you think that sort of stuff worked in the middle of the book? I think I think there's a lag in the middle of this book because the focus is so heavily and so well. I actually think the first two issues of this book, two of the best issues of any comic, I really like them. I think it, it structures so well, it opens so well. Um there's a there's an issue with some of the colouring in the flashbacks which muddies it a little bit, but I think the opening in the in the in the wall and then in being transported is just beautifully done and Cam's brilliant in it. But then it sort of loses focus a little bit and moves to um news to this Tesla guy and his girlfriend. And I was a little bit confused about what was going on there, I'll be honest, on a first read or reread of it again. And I was confused because the three women in it look very similar, and I was beginning to wonder if there was some kind of connection between them all. Does that make right. sense? One with yeah. like an alternate reality version of the other. Because um, Lazarus has this wife who looks like a dark haired version of, is it, what's her name? Is it Lasha? Lasha. Who's, who's the, the lady he, he then sleeps with the space princess. And I thought, is she meant to be the same person? And then. The, the character of um, Delpha, who's the kind of mystic girlfriend of Tesla's nephew, or it is, she, um, I was wondering whether there was some kind of link to her being psychic to being linked to the two of them as well, which doesn't play out to me. Um, so I found it lagged a little bit in the, in the middle. I don't know. What about you, man? What do you think? I, well, I, I mean, I, I confess I found the middle bit quite confusing. Yeah. Um, I understand that the bad guy, Nah, Lord Nah, is trying somehow to get more technology and modern weaponry from our, you know, reality and yeah. bring it over into their reality in order so that he can win this war. And then I think in 1988-1989 the number of people who would have heard about Nikolai Tesla yeah. was not you know, we didn't all know about Tesla. He wasn't such a well-known, popular figure, as it was, as easy now. And I think they could probably get away with him because now, I'm reading it now, and I felt, oh, not Tesla. Everybody uses Tesla <laughs> yeah. now, don't they? Yeah. And all the conspiracy theorists always go on about, oh, Tesla and zero-point energy or whatever. Um, so I found that... I found it difficult to read it with 1988 eyes, if you see what I mean, because I yeah. don't think I got that far in the series back in 1988. Okay, did you not read it all back then? What? No, 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 this is the first time I managed to, you know, to, to read the whole thing. Um, and I did find the middle section, I wasn't really sure what was going on, to be honest, mm. other than that, you know, Da Vinci's there, Tesla's there, 
they have used their technologies in this fantasy setting, but Nar wants more. He wants the weaponry as well, I think. Yeah. I mean, I was saying to you off, off mic, I think I was saying, to me, part of that is no, now knowing what Veach is like, it kind of, I find it more understandable that it does wander. I don't want to use the term hippy-dippy, but there's a bit of that maybe, a bit of like just throwing all these amazing ideas, probably, let's face it, while drunk or stoned into the mix, and they all end up in this comic. And Cam's Cam's gone, I mean, it looks amazing. You know, yeah. Cam's kind of gone with it, you know. I mean, Tesla looks brilliant, but that face of Tesla seems to be the face of Tesla that we see all the time now anyway, you know. Yes. There's not that many photographs of him, I guess. No, and now we've seen him played on screen by David Bowie and others. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I know that and, um, I know that Cam in an interview, I read it, I found an old speakeasy interview with him from June 88, which is, I think was just before the book came out, and he was saying that book one came across as a little too heavy and depressing for him. But by four, by issue four, the mood had certainly lightened. Well, that's interesting because I kind of dug – I'm the opposite. I kind of dug issue one because of that character work on it, you know? Yeah, well, issue one is fantastic. And, the, the, you know, the, the, the idea of this terribly depressed and debilitated Vietnam veteran and then suddenly transported into this fantasy world – where there's these floating stone ships doing battle and he's back with his old teammates. It's fantastic. It's just wonderful. Yeah. But, yeah, it does um, – when you told me he was a beat poet, I sort of thought, oh, yeah, I can sort of see uh, that. Yeah, I get that now. Yeah, yeah, that's fine, man. I, I think we I think we welcome these people, you know, they, because of the ideas that come up. I think maybe we're not more used to this sort of Robert McKee structure now. Do you know, maybe that's part of it. When we're, we're reading it in one go, we're not reading it in monthly bits, we're, we're – there's a lot thrown into the mix in these middle issues that do lag a bit, but there's a lot in them. You know, perhaps we're more used to the box set structure of comics these days. I think, yeah, yeah, maybe that's part of it. Yeah, I do really put it up there, though, man. I do really think it's brilliant. A lot of it is down to Cam, but a lot of it, I think that one of the, the reasons I was maybe a little bit disappointed with some of it was I just felt that that sort of PTSD thing that he was building. You know, you really felt for this Lazarus dude. You know, yeah. Um, was left was lost a little bit in the mid the midstream i think you know well we'll get to cam kennedy's artwork and to slightly easier territory for us perhaps in a moment but i'm going to ask you about war comics tony we've okay. talked about um uh you know vietnam and we've also talked a bit about on this podcast and about and on never iron anything about war comics um because i put in our notes that this is an anti-war comic and then i thought to myself well that's a bit sort of like, you know, boring and uh, uninteresting because actually all the comics that we've read, all the war comics we've read, turn out to be anti-war comics, don't they? Yeah, and that's really interesting you put that. And I'm going to say, from a personal point of view, all the good ones are anti-war comics. Right. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to say there's a lot of, for example, a G.I. Joe comic is a war comic in a way, isn't it? A right. Star Wars comic is a war is in itself a war comic. In the title, yeah. 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 And not all of them seem to be Breach comics have done it well. I mean Charlie's War being the epitome of his, isn't it? You know, showing the horrors of war and you know it's not a great thing, war, is it? Let's face it. No, you could be fighting for the best thing ever, you know, for the most righteous reason ever, but people are still dying. Um Yeah, I think I, I recently did a rip through some Sergeant Rock on a Joe Cubert thing I did with Ian and in and Cliff, and that, amazingly, growing up, you would think that Sergeant Rock, the American War series, was a bit gung ho and rah rah America and stuff, and it's not at all. 
it's not that at all. And I don't. Th- I think I don't know. What do you think about British comics? Have, have we lived in the? They've never really glorified it, have they? I'm going to say. Well, all the comics that I've gone back to for this podcast and listening to your podcast, Tony, all the British war comics I've gone back to have been great, and also they've been very anti-war. Yeah, and as you say, you know, you can't get any higher than Pat Mills and uh, Joe Colquhoun on Charlie's War in terms of actually telling you what it was really like. I think there are probably, if we go back a little bit further, we would find the gung ho, um, plucky sergeants, um, yeah. sort of charging down a German machine gun nest single handedly. I think we'd find a lot more of that if we went back a little bit earlier than the 70s. That's my feeling, but I haven't gone back and checked. But yeah. this this is very much, you know, um, this is another war is hell comic. And it's particularly, as you say, it's a Vietnam War one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The It it would be a companion read to, say, The Nam, which is a great another great comic, I think. Now, I wonder yeah. if you'd mentioned The Nam. So that's the American comic series. Was that a Marvel title? Yeah, yeah. And... I know Michael Golden does the artwork. Um, is it? I've forgotten now. Is he Doug Murray? Who writes yes, it? I think that's right. Is it right. Doug? Yeah, I think so. Who's a vet, isn't he himself? And I think it right. was edited by. Um, oh, his name's escaped me, but he was a vet as well. And it's um, every, a year in the Nam. Twelve issues relates to a year in Vietnam. In Vietnam, so it's Larry almost told in. Larry Hammer, thank you. It's almost sort of real time thing as well, and it's it's not always about shooting Vietnamese soldiers or <coughs> flying in Hueys or anything like that. A lot of it's about the time that there's a great issue about the time they get off in a Vietnamese town and what happens and beautifully told. Yeah. Very engaging. And the characters don't say the same because a lot of soldiers were only in it for a year. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's, it's evocative of, of this in a way. The art styles are quite different. I think Cam has a sort of richer, darker, harsher line than golden right. for me. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Any other, so, any other sort of famous or important war comics that you'd like to mention? Um, there's the well, Mouse is a war comic. Let's face it. You know, um, I did a recent interview with Al about um, Al Henderson about um, the Magneto book, which right. describes his life. Testament. Yeah, which is an amazing book and much ignored, I think. Um, and I think there's a lot like Yossel by Joe Cuba. It's a great book about that. Very, very touching. Um, yeah, God. Is you there? and I read the manga comic Onwards Towards Our Noble Death oh, for God, your yeah. podcast. Yeah. Which gives you the sort of the ordinary foot soldier in the Japanese army, their their version of events. Um, yeah. That's definitely the horror that? war. Yeah. 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 And Barefoot yeah. Gen, again, is Barefoot Gen is, is the horror of war. It's a whole war story. It's just told from the point of view of the civilians, you know, getting bombed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, well, we'll come back to the story and uh, the light and darkness war and some of the characters in a moment. Let's get on to more traditional ground for this podcast. Let's talk about artwork and talk about Cam Kennedy. Um, again, okay. you've got one of your sort of potted bios for us. Well, I, I don't think there's much that I can tell anyone who listens to this. You know, the he's 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 one of ours, isn't he? He's a He's a 2000 AD guy, isn't he? But there's there's yeah. a few interesting things I read about him. There's the, in, interestingly in that speakeasy interview, I found him talk about his influences, which he claims are de- mostly painters actually, Degas and George Brack. Um, 
he self describes him in uh, is it uh, aircom.net interview as not a great comics buff, but st- and started in commercial art. He worked at DC Thompson specifically in Commando. Although I think if you ask him, I don't know if you've had a chance. Have you interviewed Cam? Have you? With no, him? no. Yeah. I think if you get a chance to speak to him, I've seen him say in a couple of interviews, he can't really remember them very well, you know, but that's comic British comic writers, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then he took a significant break and worked um, in painting and fine art. And I think he moved to France, I he think did, in that yes. period. Yeah. Um, and he talks quite a lot about the energy he had as a younger man, as an artist and how he often wouldn't even lay down pencils. He'd just attack a page with ink. And, um, I remember watching some of the 2000 AD guys, Steve Dillon and Brendan McCarthy particularly. I sat next to him at a Bristol once, and he just drew with ink. He just went straight in, drew this amazing thing. I won't. I mean, I'm sure I don't have to quote his 2000 AD in battle work, but favourite of mine, probably the VCs, I'm going to say. Right. Yes. Um, he, um, as you say, he went on to work with Veach on um, Dark Empire. He did some Star Wars books with John Wagner as well. He did the Boba Fett comics, which I haven't read. Right. Um, did some stuff at DC and Marvel as well. Did Lobo, Batman, Outcast. Obviously, you talked about that a few episodes ago, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, the Spectre. Did some Daredevil, Punisher stuff. He's done quite a lot across various different places. You know, when he was asked, I saw another interview with him when he was asked about his favourite um, story, and he said it's Midnight Surfer, which is right. great. Which I, I've, is definitely up there for me as well. Um, when he was offered Dark Empire, he said he'd never seen Star Wars at that point. Which <laughs> <laughs> is brilliant. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, um, a, I found it, I think I put into YouTube UCAC and there's a great UCAC where they cover UCAC and I sent it to you in the middle of sending it. I was just typing it out saying, oh, you should watch this it's about UCAC because it's from our age of comics really. And, um, and at the end there's, a, there's a thing about, um, Lion Darkness War just out of the blue. Yeah. So I think it was UCAC 1988 or 1989 or something. And, um, it's Tom Veach traveling to Orkney to see Cam Kennedy and, um, it's like the nicest thing you'll ever see. And it's, it's literally got the where he's showing him the pages he's drawing. You know, it's pre-internet, isn't it? Yeah. I will put a link to that video in the show notes of this episode because it is marvellous. At the end of this, and I've forgotten what it's called. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, yeah. will come back to us in a moment. But you've got Archie Goodwin pops up to yeah. talk about the Light and Darkness War. Then there's Tom Veach. And then there's Cam Kennedy in his studio in the Orkneys. And... Um, Obviously, uh, as you say, Tom Veach comes over and they're looking at pages that Cam is working on for the Light and Darkness War. Um, And then you get them... You've obviously got beautiful sunsets that they get up there out looking out from um, Cam's studio. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it ends up literally with them sort of walking down the beach together. Tom Veach and Cam Kennedy walking down the beach... (laughs) And to this amazing sort of sunset. And then I looked at the coloured artwork in The Light and the Darkness War and I thought, I can see where he's taken some of these skies from. Yeah, yeah, um, that's true, man. Yeah, good point. Yeah. And you'd found something in a Speakeasy article about his approach with watercolours to doing this art. Yeah, re- to be fair, I posted it in the little Slack we have for the ACP because it really is interesting from the point of view of people who are talking about AI art at the moment. And he was talking about the encroachment. I think it's 88. He was talking about the encroachment of digital art, which must have been such early stages at the time. And he was saying, no, he basically was saying, you need to get out paper and draw on it. You know, you need to paint on it. And that's why I think a couple of these covers are painted, aren't they? 
um, which is why. And I think he has a watercolor technique he uses on a lot of these pages, which you can also see. There's almost like a, in the, um, he changes it a bit. I know there's different effects used as the series goes on, but you get this this wash effect on some of the um, more fantastical traveling through time, traveling through dimensions kind of stuff going on, which is beautiful. And I'm guessing if you had an original page from this, it would be painted on, I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, the artwork is, uh, as all we always say on this podcast, it's spectacular stuff by Cam. Mm. Uh, some of his best stuff ever. Um, these beautiful fantasy sequences, these floating battleships, um, the bad guy, the sort of weird, what are they called? The dead, are they the dead side? Of that's right. Like, I think that's right. Yeah. They read the revived zombie army that he's using. Um, and just like some of the, the, the backgrounds and the skies, I think are just wonderful as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do. I do. Of course, once Colin, I think on our Outcast episode, pointed out characteristic Cam Kennedy floating heads with gritted teeth. Yes. But once you've seen them, you sort of start seeing them everywhere. Don't you? Yeah, you're right. And also, everyone looks hard as f, don't they? In this, they do. You know, they 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 look like warriors to me. They look, you know, the, the lines on their face, you know, you, could, you you know, if you punched them, it wouldn't hurt. You know, it's like that sort of feeling to them, isn't there? Which I really like for, a, for what yeah, is a war comic, you know. You'd put in your notes that the uh, they look like they're cut from stone in places. Yeah, they? yeah, they do, yeah. And he adds such, such stuff to the backgrounds in some of these. I mean, there is a... It, there is a slain quality to these floating spaceships, but I'm going to say it's probably pretty much a coincidence, isn't it? You know, yeah. Um, but it's it works as much as it worked in slain, I think. Um, but there's some lovely design work going on. The warriors are like a mismatch of different styles of warrior as well. Some have got army helmets on. Some have got you know sci-fi costumes on some of them have got grenades hanging off their belts you know it's all different like that it's like whoever they could scrabble together to get into an army they're there and it works really well i think yeah yeah uh fantastic stuff now of course he also does the villain of the piece lord nah (laughs) yeah uh who has some good design work on him he's a strange character who becomes um a little bit more unusual as the story goes on isn't he I think they overuse him. I think this right. is, I was thinking about this. I think he's used too much to the point where he almost becomes satire. Um, he becomes almost a, a comedy boahaha villain, doesn't he? I think at some yeah. point. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, li- I liked him. It's, he's almost in every other page. Maybe he yeah. should have been saved more towards the end. Yeah, because he's got that sort of Doctor Doom quality about him, isn't he? You know, you don't need to show him all the time, I think. One of the things about doing a podcast with Tony Esmond is that you and I swap <laughs> images and little bits of video and yeah. articles that we found. A lot of them from your extremely extensive um, own collection of fanzines and stuff like that. But, I mean, that interesting video about uh, creators in the late 1980s at a UK comic convention is fantastic. Oh, that's great. But, there's a panel towards, I don't, is it in the sixth issue or the fifth issue, where things are starting to come to a head and the villain is standing on a balcony watching the battle with one of his minions and uh, one of the sort of battleships is getting blown up in front of him. And he rather bizarrely says, and I know because you sent me this panel, Tony, <laughs> 
such beauty in destruction, I'm having an orgasm. Yeah, there's some odd bits of humour on there, which again goes back to me saying, if you understand Tom Veach, you understand this a bit better. Because this sort of weird humour that drops in. At one point, one of the soldiers goes down to see the the sort of magical creature who's the engine or something, and he says to him, how's it hanging? And he says, no need to poke fun at my sex life. And I'm like, what? where did that come from? <laughs> but it adds to the sort of odd atmosphere, which I think's good in a way. They're soldiers, they've got dark humour. I kind of dig it. I kind of get it. I don't know about you, but it didn't... There was Occasionally I go, oh, it's a bit weird, but yeah, it's okay, I don't mind it. We can't be grim and gritty all the time, I suppose. Yeah. There is the the constant uh wonder in our minds as to whether this is all just a dream yeah. um in the mind of Lazarus Jones who's lying in a hospital bed in a coma after a terrible car accident um and whether this could all just be a dreamscape and again there's something in there as well about his mental health because clearly at the start of the book he's not in a good place at all is he no and it's quite from a morality point of view it's a complicated book i would say be there's a there's so many issues you can talk about in here the ptsd being at the center of a lot of it i think and the stuff like when he tries to kill himself if that is what he does in issue one like page eight or it is is he trying to kill his wife as well because she's in the she's car in with the him car. Yeah. yeah and then only like 20 20 pages later he's sleeping with a space princess because he's got his legs back and then he his wife tries to sleep with him later on and he says, I can't. And it's a really strange one that you're right in the same way that, you know, is it the wizard of Oz? Well, we're not really sure. Are we, you know, I, I flip flop a bit on whether it is real and it isn't. And the, the ending of it doesn't help. <laughs> no, You're still not sure by the end of it. Are you? I think No, it doesn't resolve it. There is an ending, but it doesn't answer the question of hallucination, dream, yeah. drugs mental health or whatever you know yeah there's a there's a coldness to some people in it as well i'm not sure if i'm reading that too much because of the the sort of steely-eyed stone-skinned soldiers that are in it but i feel like there's a a coldness through the way they speak to each other sometimes yeah. yes and i would say that lazarus in our reality is a cold character and he seems to only I mean, I don't, again, I think this is probably fairly obvious in a way, but he seems to just come alive when he gets his legs back and his old his old friends back and he's back yeah. blasting uh, dead siders out of the doors of like a, not a Huey helicopter, but some sort of floating stone battleship. Yeah, um, and I don't know whether yeah. it speaks to my personality or psyche or whatever, but I actually find it more interesting in the real world sometimes. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that would have been an interesting book as well to just write about, you know, a Vietnam a Vietnam veteran's uh, experience and fantasies. Yeah, 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 very much so. But it's it's a great book, and it, I think the saying it's that good is the fact that we, you, and I have been sending messages all week about it, and, and it's brought these thoughts up. You know, I think yeah. that's that's yeah. There's an awful lot to think about with this book. Um, it raises an awful lot of questions and ideas, and of course. It's all done with Kim Kennedy's wonderful coloured artwork. Is it? Yeah. Is it what some of the best stuff he's ever done? From what I've seen, I think so. Yeah, I think he's so proficient. He's one of those artists, a bit like Dave Gibbons. Is 
he's always good, I think. Yeah. You know, I don't know whether his work quite connected with some of the Punisher work, for example, but it's not bad. I really like reading it. He's very readable. I kind of see him a bit like, or I see Gil Kane as the American Cam Kennedy. As I put it that way, it's not to upset 2018 fans. I wouldn't want to put it the other way around. But, you know, there's that quality to the physicality and the lines and the musculature and stuff like that. And I think a lot of his craters, even Joe Cuba, I think there's a bit of Joe Cuba there somewhere, you know, whether it's intentional or just coincidence. I think I like that sort of art. Yeah. And a few months ago, when this podcast comes out, you did a Never On Anything episode about Joe Kubert, which is really worth listening to. Yeah, Joe's great. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, really amazing dude. And um, we had Ian Ashcroft and Cliff Cumber, who both were on Pat's Spacewalk magazine, to chat about it. Um, Yeah, really good, really insightful guys. Yeah. Thanks, man. And... When you were on talking about Dave McKean, and you and I had a bit of studio envy of Dave McKean's <laughs> yeah. setup and his fantastic library he had, the same with that video that you sent me, which is Cam Kennedy's studio window looking out. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the sunsets and everything. I was thinking, oh, yeah, that's lovely. I could, <laughs> if I could draw like Cam Kennedy and have that that view yeah just have that desk to read comics out and look out the window that'd be that'll do me you know let's move to orkney we can finish this episode by walking down the beach be fine okay <laughs> i should say we're recording this in july we know cam's had some health issues we hope he's doing yeah better. well fingers crossed yeah out. fingers crossed yeah yeah very much so. um let's talk about his artwork for a moment more then let's give you grail pages and a grail cover as well tony i know okay. you picked a couple of pages to talk about yeah i think it would have, from the sort of interior page wise, it would have been easy to go for one of the massive double page spreads. I think, I think that's, um, but a lot of them are, for example, there's a couple that are the stone ships flying in an armada across the sky and stuff like that, which have been beautiful. But I wanted something that was more reminiscent of the comic and of the humor and of the feel of it. So I've gone for, which is in the, um, the version you've got is page 40. Yeah. Um, and it's got, the sky is full of those ships. It's only a single. It's a single page splash, um, on a sort of floating platform. Is law is the um, behold Nar Lord of all reality, um, and then you've got the soldiers who are saying, "Dig the bad ass in the skull. He must be the king turd of this operation." I, I just love that. I love that. And knowing how he's created, we're having now we've read about how he created it. This will be. I'm guessing a full color page, if he's if he's watercolored it. I'm guessing right. Yeah, so hopefully, with and from the period, likely to have the word balloons on it as well, which would be lovely. Yeah. Oh yeah, yes, you'd want all that as well. But it's wonderful, him yeah. floating on this sort of weird, uh, like a jaw of some creature, which is yeah, that's form. true. Yeah, I've just noticed uh, that. You're right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So that's wonderful. We will grant you that page. Thank you, mate. And uh, as you say, page forty in the hardback, and I presume on the digital one as well. Then yes, it is. Um, yeah. Wonderful stuff by Cam Kennedy. You've got a cover to go with it, I think, Tony. Yeah, this was hard to do because the covers aren't always um, representative of the story, are they? They're, they're almost a little – a couple of the pages are a little bit abstracty of the – Very. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've gone with the one um, – I think it's issue three with the, the stone ship flying above the Huey helicopter, yeah. sort of dwarfing it from above um, with the title in the background. Um, done in sort of brown tones with the odd sharp bit of colour. There's the red of the cloak and the green of the helicopter and, and just a couple of bits of highlights of the metal on board it. I just really like that one. I think that would just look gorgeous in a frame, if you see what I mean. 
It's yeah. the cover of the same issue that your page comes from. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, I think it's issue two, actually. Two. Sorry, man. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What Fantastic about you, man? work. Well, I, I was tempted by some double-page spreads. I was tempted by some interiors. I do think that his covers get almost, as you say, they get more abstract as the series progresses. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of covers he does, which is just one character face. And he's done that thing that artists can do, where he's just sort of picked out the face in different blocks yeah. of shade and colour. Uh, there's one earlier on, but the issue six has Lazarus Jones, just a face on the cover. Um, I'm going to say Picasso-like almost. Oh, I get you. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. you can see that sort of abstract art, and that yeah. he's just picked out. He's almost he's almost done that artistic exercise, which is where you t- you look at something and, and break it down into shapes, into you know yeah. triangles or whatever. Um, so I'm going to put that one. I think cover to issue six. Yeah, in greens and yellows, isn't it? Almost is that greens right? Greens and yellows. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. You've got it in front of you now. Oh, that's um, beautiful, man. Yeah, yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, and there are some pages up on Comic Art Collectors that people do own pages of this. Okay. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I hope hope these pages are out there and that people have got them and that they, you know. And love them as much as we do when we talk about them. Yeah, or if otherwise we'll find out the addresses and just go in at night. Oh, okay. All right, yeah. <laughs> Where did this burglary first start? I was on the Mega City Book Club. That's where yeah, we decided. that's right, yeah. 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 Are we just openly discussing a conspiracy on a uh, free-to-air podcast? Okay. <laughs> so, The Light and Darkness War is available in hardback still for eighteen ninety nine, and it's available digitally um, I didn't check the digital price, but I assume it's around about a tenner, I should think it usually is. Yeah, I think a bit more. Yeah, I think it's about twelve ninety nine off the top of my head. Twelve ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Any other particular moments from the, the book or artistic images or anything about the background that you wanted to bring up before we move on, Tony? I think there's a sort of slight change in colour. Things get a bit sharper and he uses a he uses different techniques as we go through. I think there's a few moments with Lord Nar where um we see that redness of his face. It really, really looks good on the page the way he's painted that. There's I know he's a typical alien, you know, baddies are often red or you know, is that sort of thing, but the way he's draw he draws everything often against a white background sometimes, I think really highlights that well. Um the last few pages, I think I'm not sure how I felt about the the way it finished, but I do think there's a poetry to it. Obviously, with Tom and Cam drawing it, but I think I think it's carried off quite well. I think the battle the battle scenes of the, you know the ships and you know not specifically the stuff that's in the in our re- our reality, but the stuff that's in the other reality where there's the battle going on. I think work really well. Um, I think page one six nine um, where he uses a lot of red. And we get in that bottom panel, we get um, Lord Nar on a platform looking out across everything. Um, the sort of shape of a planet in the distance, I think, looks beautiful. I really like the way Cam has thought about the wind and the weapons and the distance between him and other characters for dramatic purpose. I think it's lovely. There's a lot going on, man. I mean, it's 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 lovely. Um, he goes for a bit of nudity towards the end again. <laughs> yeah, yes, we get a yeah. bit of that. Space babes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we get that sort of a man of two, two worlds, a man of two women, um, finally a mission thing going on. You know, I kind of I like the way that ends. I think it's it's told with an interesting poetry. 
you know. And I'm glad they haven't done a second one. Don't do a second one. We don't, don't need do it. One, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just to say that, once again, it is a lovely um, hardback in your hand. And at the back, as well as the articles from Tom Veach and Steve Bissett, you've also got lots of um, sketches and concepts from yeah. Cam Kennedy, um, which in themselves are just wonderful to look at. You know, the way yeah. he came up with some of these weird alien battleships and some character work. Uh, and an unused aircraft design that he put yeah. in there as well. Um, that's all lovely stuff. So, you know, Titan Books have done a good job on this one. It's lovely put together. They really um, have. I think they managed to keep things out for a while. I know the Accident Man book was available for quite a long time that they put out, and this one's the same. It seems to, I bought it for a couple of times for people, for birthdays and Christmases and stuff, and it seems to be ever available, I think, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for finally putting your hand up and getting me to read it <laughs> to the end this time, Tony. Thank you well, very much. For yeah, it's, it's hard to, to talk about books that you really like, isn't it? I just hope I did it, you know. Well, it's also interesting because we love talking about creators um, on both these podcasts. So we love talking, hearing a bit of backstory about Tom Tom Veach and then Cam Kennedy, who we're all huge fans of and I hope he's doing all right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, wonderful stuff. Thank you, Tony. My pleasure, mate. So we've got a number of guest projects to rattle through because you are, as I say, busy chap. If we start with the Awesome Comics podcast, which you're one of the co-hosts of, it's just celebrated eight years, Tony. Yeah, so we just, I know we were, we were recording this a bit early, but in um, the start of July, we celebrated eight years and we had a sort of special episode for it. Um, yeah, it's been going well. I mean, we do it every week. We enjoy it still. We, you know, we have some great guests on. Um, it's just fun. It's not occasionally veers into blue language but we kind of we kind of own that now um yeah we're having fun with it man we've had um some great guests on and and there's a nice little community on the state of which you're part of and um do we do the odd charity project as well which i know you're a big you're a big part of as well man yeah so thanks for that well i mean the elson comics podcast shares the love and spreads the love of indie comics small press comics and the community has produced, by the time this podcast is out, DUI 3, Drawn Under the Influence 3, <laughs> will be out, a 64-page anthology comic raising money for Mind, the mental health charity. And you've got a story in there. And, uh, yeah, remarkable. Yeah, mine, I did mine with Helena Edwardson, who's ever brilliant. Um, she's, uh, she's great to work with. And we did this little story, which uh, in a way does deal with sort of mindfulness, I think. You know, there's an element of that to it. And a lot of, like you said to me earlier, there's a lot of strips in there that do. Um, nobody gets any money for it. It's all been done to raise money for Mind. And uh, Mind are a brilliant charity. And I can't think of a better one to talk about on this podcast because obviously we're dealing with PTSD issues here. So, yes, you know, it's something exactly. they deal with. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, been, that's been really good fun, man. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks to the Slack members for doing it. And uh, we'll see if we'll do a fourth one. Yeah. So check out the Awesome Comics podcast, awesomecomics.podbean.com. And. DUIComic.bigcartel.com. Uh, you've also got your own podcast. You do Never Iron Anything, which is a website, a review website, and a podcast. Again, exploring great comics and great creators and focusing, doing sort of spotlights on them. Well, you were obviously, as you are in all areas of your life, a great inspiration for me, Eamon. So, <laughs> so I decided, I think we, we, you and I both, I think we, we bought too many comics during lockdown, yes. didn't we? And yeah. I decided to turn that into doing a podcast, which I did during lockdown, just to get some friends involved, really, to sort of chat to. We were doing a drink and draw during lockdown as well, which was online. And I thought, well, why don't I do a podcast? 
you know, I already talked for hours a week on another one. Why not do another one and just talk about a specific book? So I, I sort of invite people on to talk about. We've 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 sort of changed it a little bit. So we go for we do like an artist roundtable once every couple of months where we'll pick an artist. Um, sometimes we'll pick a character, stuff like that, and I just chat to people. Everyone bringing great insight, and you know, I'm really learning loads. Um, we read these comics sometimes. We don't know anything about them, do we? You know, we just enjoy no. them, which is not is not is not harmful in any way. And uh, that's what I've done. But yeah, it's nice to dig into some of these guys, like you say, the Joe Kubert one we did recently. Just what a dude! I mean, he's making comics at eleven and a half, working in the studio in Manhattan. Yeah, how cool is that? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so it's been good fun, man. And thanks for coming on. You and uh, a lot of people we know, the Don's been on. A lot of people who've we've shared sort of guests, haven't we? Who've been on. There's a fair bit of crossover between these two podcasts. As you say, Richard Chief uh, has been on there a few times and he's always a great resource. Um, and I'm going to say, you know, we can't mention your past profession, Tony, because when you're an international man of mystery, you're not allowed <laughs> to talk about it. But I'm going to say that you and I were both in professions, and I guess a lot of our listeners will be the same, that they've been in professions where, or work environments where, you didn't really talk about comics. You couldn't really sort of bring up the subject of something to say, I read this and it was really great. Oh, mate, um, so much. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked with a dude for 10 years before we both realised we read comics. Really? Yeah, we used to call it coming out of the comics closet. Yeah, yeah it was like that. Um, I think back in the day, they people would generally, Joe Public would think you're a bit weird if you read comics. I know it's changed now, thankfully, but, you know. No, yeah. they just think it you're a millionaire a very and you've got a million. thing to, to confess to that you read comics <laughs> and people would yeah. just look, look at you, you know, yeah. yeah. Yes. And one of the advantages of the podcast format is that we get to do this sort of conversation now to just talk yeah. about something. Say, I read this, it was really great. And the people behind it are really interesting, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Give them credit to these people because, I mean, they've like Pat and like Cam and like Tom and all these people. We've just done, you and I, we've just done a, a podcast about Pat Mills and Dave Gibbons on, for my one. And, um, they, they created a lot of us, our young lives, didn't they? They shaped a lot yeah. of our attitudes and young lives. And you know, you know, we're reading stuff like this, and we're thinking, oh, you know, oh, that's that's. We're questioning things. You know, I question. You know, I've got an interest into the Vietnam War because I've just read this book. You know, I've got an interest into underground comics and beat poetry because I've just read about Tom Veach. You know, there's a lot going on with it. Yeah, it's important, I think. You know. So the podcast is out every couple of weeks or every week or so, isn't it? We, I'm doing like. <sighs> Uh, when I can, so I'm quite busy at work can. at the moment. So it's usually about twice a month, maybe three times. It depends on it. I don't. I'm sort of quite casual about it. Doesn't go out at the same time every week. Just goes out when I get a chance to edit it. Stick it out. <laughs> Big shout out to Al Anderson. He comes on once a month, and I'd sort of a couple of times I've had to say, "Mate, I can't get home. I'm too busy." So he's had to, we've had to sort of reschedule it. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's the plan. But you're you're not twice a month anyway. You're like you you're not twice every month. You've gone to more than that now, haven't you? I think Sometimes. for about four weeks, he was uh, for about a couple of months. He was like, "Oh, there's another one out. Here we go." Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Occasionally, I get a glut of episodes to put out weekly instead of fortnightly. But you can find Never Iron Anything at neverironanything.com. That's it. Yeah, um, all the links are there and everything. Great stuff, and it also has links to Tribute Press, your own small press um, comics that you do with um, Adam Falp and Daryl Thorpe and Cliff Cumber. Yeah, so we're the four people in it. It's mostly me and me and Adam. Adam um, is a young sort of underground artist. Um, Cliff and Thorpe are the other members of the team, really, and we we we, we occasionally do stuff with other people. Um, we've just as you, as this comes out, we, we we described ourselves as underground comics and not small press. I think. 
is the kind of way we do it. We, we there's a, there, we we decided there was a movement in America to bring back underground and outlaw comics, and we we missed the fact that it wasn't going on here. So we kind of threw ourselves into that. Um, as we speak, as you you hear this now, we'll have just come back from SPX and Baltimore, um, which I'm quite excited about. I'm, I haven't been there yet at the moment, but I'm looking forward to that. Um, get, getting to meet people like Steve Laffler. Um, sort of underground heroes of ours. Mike Grell's going to be there. There's a number of other people. Um, and then I'm running the No Brow table with Sam from No Brow at SPX, which I haven't been to before, which is in Bethesda. Carefully say that. Bethesda in Washington, which is quite exciting. Right. Yeah. Mike Grell's going to think you're stalking him, Tony. He is. Yeah, I'll have another picture with him with his hat on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, great stuff. Okay, so go to tributepress.co.uk to find and Thank buy you, Tony's comics um can you find hidden lives on there as well uh digitally we've sold out now so it's there digitally right. yeah you can get it there yeah yeah or to be fair if you're listening to your podcast amen and you you message me and say can i read some of your comics i'll probably send them to you anyway digitally free don't worry about charging for it yeah 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 uh and there's another one of those is it i've got it right the title hidden lives is all right isn't that's it? right yeah so that's the last one of a three-part series which that was the second issue third one right. is it will be in production as you hear this now yep fine fantastic that's a, that's a wonderful comic Thank you, doing mate. just Good. what it says in a way which is just like these weird little quiet stories that people tell um done in comic form it's amazing yeah everything seems to be about dramatic things and famous people and influencers and bloody internet people but i decided just to take stories about real people you know things that have happened yep great stuff check the show notes for this episode all these links including the link to that video that tony and i have been talking about at length um which includes interviews with tom beach cam kennedy and archie goodwin will be in the show notes for this episode and you can get you can find all of tony's work there Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. I love your podcast. Sunday oh. mornings, I always listen to this podcast. I have to go, as you go somewhere on a Sunday morning, so I always have it on in the car. Um, you had, I, I was nodding along to your recent one, your film one, thinking, oh, I felt exactly the same way about that film. <laughs> yeah, no, great stuff. Yeah, really enjoy it, man. I've always been a fan of yours. Before we ever knew each other, I was always listening to your podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you, Tony. Uh, we are mutual fans because I love your podcast as well. You, as we, say, we just recorded an episode, although it's been out for three months now when this one comes out. <laughs> Uh, three months uh, talking about doctor who comics um what can get better than that <laughs> and thank you for responding to the challenge and picking the light and darkness war my pleasure uh, man absolutely Jeff. and thank you to everyone for listening to mega city book club find all of these links at megacitybookclub.com follow the podcast on facebook instagram threads the 2000 ad forums if tony and i ever get a blue sky invitation we might be there. <laughs> if uh, it's still going if not well, if yeah. not we'll set up our own social network for a week um <laughs> and get in touch by emailing mcbcpodcast at gmail.com if you'd like to respond to the challenge and come on and pick a book of your own to talk about and that'll do us until we're next week or next fortnight when we're passing judgment on another great book it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me Wow.